Good morning, Harvest. How are we doing this morning? Doing well? Have a good Thanksgiving, everybody? Yeah, we survive? Good? Some of us? Good. Well, hey, I just want to bring you up to speed. If you weren't with us at the beginning of the service, we uh, had a situation where there was a medical emergency and a man uh, passed out um, between the first service. And so we had a little late start for um, that as we prayed for him. And we'll continue to be praying for him and his family. Um, but just wanted you to be aware of what was going on as we might go a few minutes late. But uh, listen, if you ha- uh, have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings 3 is where we're going to be this morning. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and just shoot your hand up now. We, uh, we have people coming down the aisles who would love to get a copy of God's Word into your hands. Um, if you don't have a Bible, go ahead and take that home. It'll be our early Christmas gift to you. Um, we're going to need uh, to look at God's Word this morning. If we haven't had the chance to meet, my name is Alec. Uh, I'm a pastor here. Uh, I have the privilege of uh, serving in both our worship ministries. Most of us are used to seeing me with an acoustic guitar, and you're probably wondering why, what's going on, what's going on. Uh, but I'm also involved in our student ministry, and uh, I love preaching at both high school and middle school. And so I would just want to take a pause right now and just talk to the parents. Listen, if you are a parent of a middle schooler or a high schooler in the room, I just want to say thank you. Um, It is one of the the greatest privileges of my life to be able to disciple young students and uh, point them to God's word. And um, because I've seen him change my life uh, drastically in high school, it's so cool to be a part of that in your kid's life. So thank you. And if you haven't had the opportunity to sign your kid up yet for Winterfest, this is something you need to do. Um, This is the peak of our student ministry, both in middle school and and in high school. And so I would just encourage you to to sign your kid up for Winterfest if you haven't already. Well, in the spirit of Thanksgiving, spirit of family, I thought this would be a great opportunity for us to get to know one another. And so does anyone know what I'm talking about when I say the 10-year challenge? Has anybody ever heard of the 10-year challenge? Okay, I know some of you have. I've seen your Facebook profiles, all right? I know. If you don't know what the 10-year challenge is, the 10-year challenge is basically this social media trend where people are purposefully posting a picture of themselves 10 years ago, and then they're comparing it with a picture from today. And personally, I don't like to go out of my way to embarrass myself, but, you know, here we are. We're going to do it, and we're going to go for it. So let's throw this first picture. This is me 10 years ago. Okay. (laughs) I, I don't know how that got in there, but that is not, I'm not 10 years old, I promise. I may look it, but someday that will be a compliment. I, I got to keep telling myself that. All right, let's throw that actual picture of me. This is me roughly 10 years ago. You can obviously see from the massive trophy there that we just won state finals that it's 2010. So this is almost 10 years ago. But yeah, that's me, sophomore year in high school. And uh, what we love about this 10-year challenge is we love to reminisce, don't we? We love to be nostalgic. We love to think back of our lives and and think, man, what was my life like 10 years ago? And as I think about what my life was like, I can't help but think about Pastor Chris, who was just leading us in worship, and Pastor Cal, our lead pastor. Uh, You see, Chris uh, was this new worship pastor at this new church plant, this little small church, Harvest Spring Lake in Spring Lake, Michigan. And uh, he, he led worship at West Michigan Christian High School, where I went to school. And as I'm watching him lead worship, I'm just thinking to myself, man, uh, this dude is like looking like he actually enjoys worshiping the Lord. Like, what is wrong with this man? He, he actually looks like he's enjoying some sort of church event. You know what I'm talking about? And as I'm watching him, and I'm thinking to myself, man, I don't even have that kind of relationship with God. 
but I want that. And not only, uh, I think I want to do what he does one day. And then a few short months later, I had the privilege of meeting Pastor Cal, who is our high school pastor here. And um, what started out as a coaching relationship where basically Cal's responsibility in high school as my assistant soccer coach was to basically make me not play soccer like I was five foot tall, 110 pounds, uh, quickly turned into a discipleship relationship. And I can remember spending hours and hours um, in coffee shops, in restaurants, in one-on-one discipleship times where uh, I'm meeting with both Chris and Cal or one or the other. And I would just say, apart from my family, um, there are no two men in the world who have had a greater impact on me spiritually than Pastor Chris and Pastor Cal. And uh, as cool as it is to stand here today before you to say, now I'm doing ministry with the people who discipled me. Like, how cool is that I get to lead worship with and, and work with and do ministry with the people that discipled me? As cool as it is to say that, um, as I look back at that picture of myself 10 years ago, um, if, you, if you actually looked at the, my life and the, the status of my heart, I would identify my life by one word, it's divided. It's divided. Because on the surface, I had a great, great Christian upbringing. I went to Christian school my whole life. Um, I had a lot going for me. I was popular. I was good at sports. And I was a sociable kid. But on the inside, I know that I had one foot in in my relationship with the Lord and the other in the world. And um, fast forward to today, uh, I find myself in the same spot. Like this, let's throw this picture of, of, of me. Just a few short months ago, I got married. This is me and my wife, Gracie. Yeah, we can just have a collective awe right now. Yeah, we can clap for that. Um, Gracie is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. By far, it's not even a competition. Um, she's amazing. But here's what I'll say. In the first couple of months of marriage and learning and premarital counseling in that marriage conference that we went to a couple months ago now, that the whole plan, God's perfect plan and design for marriage is oneness. And I would just say in the first 24 years of my life, what does my life consist of? Well, it's what does Alec want to do? When does he want to do it? How does he, when, how? And it's just revolving around Alec. And now God's called me to be a husband, to be the leader of my family, to lead my spouse into greater and deeper Oneness, and I find myself all the time still prone to selfishness, prone to do what I want to do. Listen, I don't know how you've walked in here, but I know that every single one of us, because of the fall, remember last week, Genesis 3, because of our sin nature, every single one of us walks in this place this morning completely divided. And I'm well aware that even as I'm talking right now, that most of us are thinking of the 14 things that we need to do later on this afternoon. All right, what am I going to have for lunch? What, what show am I going to watch? Who am I going to talk to after the service? Listen, I'm not trying to dog you. I'm not trying to make you feel bad about that. I'm identifying this is the condition of our hearts. We walk in here utterly and completely divided. And listen, this morning, we're going to look to God's word, and we're going to look at a, a man 
named Solomon. And maybe some of you recognize and have heard of Solomon before. Maybe we can think of, hey, who is Solomon? He's a king. He's wealthy. He, he's famous. He's rich. He's powerful. Uh, maybe some of us remember his wisdom. But ultimately, the thing I want to look at this morning is that Solomon, just like us, was divided. He was divided. So if you have your Bibles with me, if you're ready, say, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. All right, First Kings 3, verse 1. So Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house in the house of the Lord in the wall around Jerusalem. And the people were sacrificing at the high places. However, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. You see, we see Solomon here. He's new to the throne king. He's roughly 15 to 20 years old, scholars would tell us, and that he's taking over the throne at such a young age from his father David, and yet we find himself royally messing up right from the start, that he is marrying a foreign woman. Okay, let's pause. What's wrong with marrying a foreign woman? Is this a race thing? No, this is not a race thing. In the Old Testament, back in Deuteronomy, God would say, hey, don't marry foreign women. Why? Not because of a race thing, but it was because that they would lead you to, to worship their gods, their pagan gods, not Yahweh, the God of Israel. And we would see this play out in Solomon's life in 1 Kings 11, that this brought him to his demise. So strike one, he's marrying a foreign woman, actively knowing that this was being disobedient to God's word. And what else? We see that he's worshiping the high places. Okay, what were these high places? The high places were simply places of worship where people would go to sacrifice and worship to pagan gods. And so not only is Solomon worshiping at this place, but he's leading his uh, Israelites, his kingdom to worship uh, to pagan gods. Now, why are they worshiping the pagan gods? Well, Solomon is so focused on building his own house before he builds the temple of the Lord. Good idea or bad idea? Bad idea. So we see Solomon right from the start, messing up, messing up, and messing up. And yet, look with me in verse 3. Solomon loved the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord walking in the statutes of David, his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. Now, that doesn't really make sense. How can you love the Lord and still being living in an active rebellion against God? Well, we see Solomon, just like us, is divided. He loves the Lord. He's, he's walking in his father's footsteps, and yet he's living in disobedience to the Lord. And so as we acknowledge our condition, acknowledge the status, the, the, the status of our heart this morning, we need to look to God's word as the remedy and solution for our divided hearts. So I'm just going to give us our big idea this morning. It's this. You can write this down. It's my heart will remain divided until I rightly understand God's heart. My heart will remain divided until I rightly understand God's. Ultimately, in our sinful condition, every single one of us has an issue. Because of the, the fall, we are walking in with a disease known as sin. And the only remedy, solution for our division of our hearts is to look at God, what David wrote in Psalm 27, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. Why? Because when we gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and look to him and Jesus and what he's done, we know who we are. We know whose we are. So I want to give us 
the first thing already this morning, God's heart is first and foremost present. God's heart is present. Look at verse four with me. And the king, Solomon, he went to Gibeon to sacrifice there. For that was the great high place. And Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. So he's used to this, right? And look at verse five. There at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, listen, ask what I shall give you. So here we see Solomon, again, at the peak of his rebellion, at the peak of his disobedience, fully understanding and aware of his uh, sinful condition here because he's raised in a privileged upbringing uh, under David, right? A man after God's own heart. And we see Solomon living in disobedience and yet the Lord enters the scene, enters the equation and says, hey, listen, I've seen what you've done. I'm gonna give you my punishment. You know what? You've, you've messed up. I'm gonna take the throne away from you. You're done. You're gonna get my wrath. No, no, no. He says, I'm here. I'm present. What do you want, Solomon? Ask, and I'll give it to you. You see, in the midst of our own failure, in the midst of our own rebellion and our own sin, God is present. I think so often we think of God's presence in our life as, well, when life's going well, God's so good, isn't he? Man, my, my job's going well. Family's going well. My kids are doing well. Things are looking good for me. God's so faithful. He's so good. Man, I just love worshiping the Lord. And when things aren't going well, when, when, when we're struggling, we're, when we're um, facing circumstances of life or we're living in sin, it feels like God's presence is so far, doesn't it? And as I look at my own life, I can see God's hand moving so powerfully in my life, especially in how I was called into ministry. I know it doesn't look like this, um, but I've actually been preaching for a long time. Uh, my first message uh, was in second grade. And some of you are like, what are you talking about? What kind of church were you growing up in? Like, how did they let you preach there? And I would say, Here, here's what happened. In second grade, um, I, like I said, I was raised in a Christian school. And so what we did right around this time of year is we memorized Luke 2, verse 4 through 20. It's the story of Jesus and his birth. And I remember uh, I was the first one to get done, and I was so excited about this. And then the very next Sunday, the pastor it says, hey, open your Bibles and turn with me to Luke 2, and we're going to read from verses 4 through 20. And I'm just like, I know this. I know exactly what, where this is going. And so I'm just shooting my hand up in the air. And I'm just flailing my arms, just waving the pastor down. He's just so gracious. And he says, yes, Alec, would you like to share something? I'm like, uh, yeah, I actually know this. He's like, great, would you like to read this for us? I'm like, no, I wouldn't like to read this. I actually have this memorized. And he's like, all right, Alec, we'll come over here. And he takes his headset off and he, he, get, he kneels down because I'm probably like this tall. And um, he says, all right, Alec, let's hear it. So I just rattle off Luke 2, verse 4 through 20. And I'll tell you, in this Christian Reformed church up in Montague, Michigan, it is dead silent. And then as soon as I finish, it is like a Pentecostal rally just blew up in this church. <laughs> and as I look back at that funny story, I can already see God's presence in my life. And I can already see that he's 
calling me into ministry. And a few years later, I had the opportunity to learn guitar. And I started playing in the praise team and, and leading worship for my church. And then I, I mentioned that I was discipled by Pastor Chris and Pastor Kel. What better people to be mentored under uh, as it pertains to ministry? And then I remember in college, I was a business student at Hope College down the road. And I remember after giving a case presentation to my management class, the professor pulled me aside and said, hey, Alec, I love having you in class. I love you, man. You, you've got good grades. You, you know this stuff. But here's what I'm going to tell you. Everything that you talk about, man, everything that you want to uh, talk about in, in classes is the Lord. And I can just see God calling you into ministry. And I'm like, I, I don't want to do that. Why are you telling me that? Can I love the Lord? And can I work in, in business setting and love the Lord? And he said, absolutely. I've done it for years. And that's my calling in life. But I think you specifically, your calling is ministry. And as I kind of wrestled with that, I had the opportunity to study abroad. Um, I actually studied for a couple months in Scotland, in Ireland, in Austria, and I was studying economics in Austria. And I remember thinking about, man, I have no idea what I'm doing with my life. Uh, I'm struggling with my identity. I'm struggling uh, in my calling in life. And I'm away from my Christian community, away from my family, away from my church, and yet... I find myself reading God's word in a coffee shop, downtown Vienna, Austria, and this is what I stumbled across, and this has kind of been the verse of my life. It's Psalm 139, it'll be on the screen. It says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? For if I ascend to heaven, you're there. And if I make my bed in shale, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, listen, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Listen, at my, the peak of my confusion and my calling and my identity struggling in sin, listen, God showed up and he met me where I was at and he said, I'm here, I'm with you. Have you been there? Can you look back on your life and see God at work? Can you look back this week and say, you know what, God? You're so present in my life. And if you're struggling to answer those questions, I, I want to follow up and ask you these three questions. These aren't in your notes, but you can write these down. They'll be on the screen. The first is this. Is there any unrepentant sin in your life? Is there any unrepentant sin in your life? Listen, I mentioned that I uh, meet with high schoolers all the time. And I remember um, the, the question that I get all the time is, hey, Alec, I just feel like God is so far. I don't feel like he's present. I don't feel like he's near. I'm not feeling God's presence. And the first question I would say is, hey, how's your battle with sin? How's your lust? How's your anger? Hey, how about, how about this? How's your relationship with your parents? And as I kind of see the sweat dripping down their face, I know because I've been there. And when I'm hiding sin and I'm walking in rebellion and I'm not living a true right relationship where I'm actively in a cycle of repentance and confessing my sin to God, I know it's difficult to hear God's voice. It's difficult to feel his presence. And we feel isolated. Is there any unrepentant sin in your life? The second question I would ask you is this. Is there anything in your life that you're unwilling to surrender to the Lord? Are you unwilling to surrender something to the Lord? Maybe this plays out for you like, hey, I know what God's word says about blank, um, but I just feel like blank. 
Hey, I know what God's word says about that, but, and that, that might work for you and that might work for those people over there, but for me, I, I'm not really feeling that. Like maybe for you, it's God's design and plan for marriage, right? Maybe you, you know what God's word says about marriage and yet you're, you're compromising because you, you don't want to live in submission to God's word. Or maybe it's your finances. Maybe you know that God calls us to steward our finances well, to live in a, genera- a generous way because of all the things that he has given us. And yet we're thinking to ourselves, no, no, no. Hey, I want to accrue. I want to gain more. I want to build my empire, get to a place where I can financially be stable and secure because that's the goal. As if. Is there anything in your life you're unwilling to surrender to the Lord? Listen, it takes our attention away from the Lord. It distracts us. It makes him feel far when he is so present. Last question I would ask you boldly and simply is this. Do you know God? Do you know God or do you know about God? And uh, I was asked this question when I was in high school and it's ultimately been a question I've kind of asked myself continually as I've uh, called my, or found myself in, in ministry. And this is a question that I feel is just so good for our hearts to ask ourselves this because for me and my, I know for myself, I was raised in a perfect Christian family. And I grew up in the Christian school. I had a decent understanding and memory of God's word and what was right and what was wrong. And you would say to yourself sitting out there, man, of course you're a pastor. Look at how you were raised. Of course you're here, of course you're preaching God's word because you were raised in a Christian family. You grew up in the church. What other thing would make sense? And I would tell you, man, I didn't even know the Lord until I was in high school. How can that be? And for you sitting out there, maybe you're thinking to yourself, man, that's my story. Hey, I grew up in the church. I I go to Harvest Spring Lake. In fact, I go here almost every single week. Man, I grew up in West Michigan. And so everyone in West Michigan is a Christian, right? And listen, I'm telling you, if that is your testimony, if you believe that that is your testimony, I'm graciously telling you, that's not a testimony. Your testimony is the fact that you were born into this world sinful, that you lived an active, consistent rebellion against God, his word, and what he has for you. And you lived for yourself until you remembered what Jesus had done for you, went to the cross for you, and now you receive grace and forgiveness and newness of life found in Jesus. If you have a testimony, that's your testimony. If you have one, do you know God? Do you know him or do you know about him? God is present. God is so present in our lives. Second thing I want us to learn this morning is this. God's heart is gracious. God's heart is gracious. So again, God talks to Solomon. He shows up, he enters the scene. He says, Solomon, hey, I'm here. I'm meeting you where you're at. What do you want? And this is how Solomon Responds. I think this is amazing. Check this out in verse six. Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in uprightness, and in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And so God asked Solomon, hey, what do you want? And this is how Solomon responds. He doesn't say, hey, I want riches. I want power. I want three more wishes. No, no, no. He says, thank you. God, as I look back on my life, thank you for your steadfast love. Not only to me, thank you for your faithfulness to my father, David, because I know exactly who my father was. 
Now, what do we know about David? Well, he was an adulterer. Right? He, he took another man's wife, Bathsheba, and they bore a son, Solomon, who we're reading about today. That in fact, in taking Bathsheba, that he became a murderer as he took uh, her husband and put him on the front lines to be killed. We see David is an adulterer. He's a murderer. And yet, in 1 Samuel 13, 22, God himself would call David a man after God's own heart. What? It doesn't even make sense. You see, David, just like Solomon, loved the Lord and yet made a mess of their life. Do we understand how gracious God is to us? I mean, honestly, do we, do we ever sit and ponder and think, how gracious is God to us? Listen, simple definition of grace is this. It's getting something that I don't deserve. Grace is getting something that I don't deserve. And listen, what do you and I deserve? Listen, because of everything that we have said, everything that we have done, everything that we've thought, listen, the condition of our hearts, the motives, the desires in our deepest hearts of hearts, if we could put on a resume and slide it across the table and say, God, here's everything that I am. Give me what I deserve. You know what we deserve is utter separation from God forever, period. That's what we deserve. And yet... What does God give us? He gives us grace. You know, it's one thing to talk about grace. It's one thing to learn about grace myself in schooling and in my childhood. Um, it's another thing to experience it, isn't it? I remember for myself at a young age experiencing grace from my family. And I would just say um, my upbringing, who, who I was as a little kid, I would just say stubborn a little headstrong, right? A little individualistic, and it hasn't really transpired in my adult life at all anyway. Um, but as a kid, right, um, I remember getting in a fight with my mom. And um, in, in a fight setting, um, I'm never wrong, right? So when my, my mom found something that was wrong with me, and she's trying to discipline me, and I'm saying, you know what? I, 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 you're wrong. I'm going to teach you a lesson. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you why you're wrong. And here's what I did. I went in the kitchen, and I grabbed something. I went in the dining room table, and I just started carving my name in the dining room table. And some of you are like, this man is insane. What is going on? And again, you're probably cringing in your chair. And as a, a new homeowner and a, a homeowner of my own dining room table, listen, if any of you touch my dining room table, it's on, all right? <laughs> and yet, uh, my mom in that moment said something along the lines, that infamous phrase, you just wait until your father comes home. And me thinking to myself, I am going to die. This is it. Alec Bright is done. It was a great run. And yet, my dad came home, and I don't remember exactly the conversation, I don't exactly remember the punishment, but I remember the conversation, and it's going something like this. It's, Alec, uh, we don't do this. This is not okay. But here's the thing, I love you, and I'm for you, and stuff is stuff, and we can always get a new table. Listen, this is wrong, but if you would just ask for forgiveness, I'll, I'll give it to you, and I, I love you, and I'm for you. You see, what did I actually deserve in that moment? It's probably like three weeks without TV or lit, sitting in my room without food or something crazy like that. It's probably what I deserved. But no, no, I got grace. And listen, how much more so for all of us and all of our sin 
has God shown us grace, amen? And I'm not a parent, um, but I'm well aware that how we probably discipline our kids is based off of how we're feeling that day, right? right? If, I'm, if I'm tired, if I'm stressed, if I'm annoyed, right? If I reach a certain point where there's things that are building and building and building, I'm probably gonna reach a point where I'm like, you know what, that's enough. Alec, that, that, that's enough. Go to your room. You're, you're, gonna, you're gonna feel my wrath. I'm gonna show you some discipline. I'm gonna teach you that. You know, God never gets tired of us. You know, God never gets sick of us. God never looks at us and says, you know what, that's enough. You've sinned too much. My grace doesn't extend to all that you've done. You're, you're gonna get my wrath. No, 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 our God is gracious. Aren't we thankful for a God who's shown us grace, amen? He's gracious. God's heart is more present than we realize. He's more gracious than we deserve. And thirdly, he is generous. God's heart is generous, so what I want to do now is I want to move past verse 7. I want to skip down to verse 10. We'll come back to this. But basically what happens is Solomon asks the Lord, after he gives thanks, uh, I, I want wisdom. And so this is how God responds to him in verse 10. So it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. And behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind. Go ahead and just circle or underline that if you'd like in your Bible. So that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. In verse 13, and give you also what you have not asked both riches and honors, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. So God gives Solomon what he asked for. He gives him wisdom. And not only does he give him wisdom, he gives him more wisdom than anyone in his day and will ever live. He is the most wise man in all of creation forever, it says there. And not only that, but God gives him riches and honor. Tim Keller he would say that God will only give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. In other words, what he's saying is, if you only knew what kind of love I had for you, if you knew how generous I wanted to be for you, if you knew my heart for you, if you knew the ways that I was going to bless you, all that you would ever ask and all that you would ever pray is, God, your will be done, your kingdom come forever. It's no longer, what do I want? Asking for things. It's God, what would you want? Matthew 7, 7 says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. How about Matthew 7, 11? It says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And listen, I know I know it's easy to kind of just brush past the fact that God is generous to us and just say, man, that's, that's great. Uh, thanks, Al. Uh, I could take that home and just think about that all day. God's generous. Woohoo. But the reason we respond that way is probably because we live in a culture that is so me and self focused, right? I, I'm going to get what I deserve. Uh, I've earned everything that I've worked for, I've worked hard. I'm going to earn everything that I deserve. We live in a culture that is not generous. 
And I love what our church is doing. Uh, maybe you've walked through the lobby and you've seen this thing in the back with the greenery and the cards, and we've seen all the generous moves where people are saying, you know what? God, you have given me so much. God, you have blessed me with so much. Everything that I have is from you anyways. And so what I want to do now is the things that you've given me, the time that I've had, the talents, the treasure that I have, I'm going to do, uh, I'm going to bless other people with because of all the things that you've blessed me with. And I've experienced this firsthand. Just last weekend, um, had the opportunity to hang out with my high school small group. I am a, a small group leader for ninth grade guys, freshman guys. And I would just say, I love being a small group leader, but they're still freshmen, you know? Like sometimes it just takes something out of you. I get home and I just want to take a nap, you know? And I'm hanging out with them and we're trying to decide, hey, what are we going to do before vertical midnight? You guys want to go to a trampoline park? You guys want to go to Craig's Cruisers? And we actually landed on, hey, let's go to this kid's house. I'm like, okay, yeah, we can go to this kid's house, right? That's free. That's awesome. And as we go there, I had uh, the parents reach out to me. Hey, we, we want your kids to come over here, all 10 of your freshman boys. And I'm like, do you have any idea what you're asking right now? And they're like, not only do we want to have them over and hang out and play with our stuff and play games and have a bonfire or whatever, we want to cook a meal for them. And it's not just going to be some, you know, some meal that we're just going to whip up real quick. We're going to roast you some, some meat. We're going to smoke you some really good pork. And this just made this smorgasbord of like delicious food. I'm like thinking to myself, guys, that's amazing. Like, we're just coming over here to hang out for a little bit before we go worship the Lord at Vertical Men Night. I was just thinking to myself how generous that was. And isn't generosity infectious? Right, when we've been shown generosity, that we want to, in turn, respond with generosity. I know for me and my wife, we want to have people over. We want to be hospitable. We want to bring people into our life and walk with them. And listen, I know a church of our size, of almost 3,000 people, listen, there's, there's a decent amount of cards out there. Right, there's some cards out there. There's some people making genera- generous moves and, and taking that step to do that. But listen, think about the impact that, that we could have on our community if we say, hey, you know what? God, you've given me so much. You've blessed me with so much. I'm going to do something in my community. If every single person in this room went out, imagine the impact that we could have on a culture, a community that doesn't know the generosity and the love of Jesus Christ. See, God's heart stirs us to respond rightly, to be generous as well. And listen, speaking of responding rightly, I want to give us two right responses. In light of God's heart, in light of his disposition towards us, two right responses that we're going to see from Solomon is first this, it's I need help. I need help, and I can't do this on my own. I can't do this on my own. I want us to go back to verse 7. We're going we're gonna to hear Solomon's prayer, his petition, what he asks the Lord as he responds in thankfulness. This is what he says in verse 7. Now, O Lord, my God, you've made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I'm but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. So what he's saying is, hey, God, I'm new to the throne. I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know how to come out or, or go in. I, I, I'm just a, a little child. I'm a servant of you, and I have no idea what I'm doing. 
And this is what he says in verse nine. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind. There it is again. You can underline that. Understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people? So again, in light of all that Solomon could have asked for, he asked for an understanding mind. We can define this as wisdom. And how would we define wisdom in this context? If you'd like to write this down, it's this. Wisdom is the ability to see things from God's perspective. The ability to see things from God's perspective. See, Solomon understood the right perspective. He understand in in humility, God, I I am young. I don't know what I'm doing. I need your help. I can't do this on my own. I, I need you to intervene now and act. That's wisdom. That's seeing things from God's perspective, knowing that he's in control. And in my study of this, I can't help but think last week of what we saw in Genesis 3. Remember Adam and Eve? Remember in the garden, what what they did in rebellion to who God is? Ultimately, what they wanted is they wanted control. They wanted to, to, to reign in their kingdom. They wanted to elevate themselves to the place of God and say, hey, I want control. I want to do this on my own. And Solomon here is saying, you know what? I have no idea what I'm doing. And you're in control. And you're God. And you know exactly what you're doing. That's the great perspective. And as I think about great perspectives, I can't help but think about my grandpa. And my grandpa was here um, at the, the Saturday night service last night. And it was just so cool to have him here because my grandpa means so much to me. He is a, a big reason why I'm in ministry today. And the uh, thing you need to know about my grandpa is he loves God's word. Okay, he, he, this is my grandpa. He reads the Bible and studies God's word and watches sermons at home all day for fun. Okay, this man is weird. You guys can pray for this guy. Okay, but around this time of year, I can't help but think about my grandpa where um, just a couple of years ago, his, his health began to decline. And there were some things going on in his life that just kind of stacked on top of one another. And honestly, we didn't know if we would have another Thanksgiving. We didn't know that we would have another Christmas um, with him. And um, I remember visiting him in the hospital and sitting with him. And in light of all that was going on, what was the conversation that we had? We talked scripture. And we, we talked what God was doing in our lives. We, we looked back, we reminisced at God's work in our life. Every time a nurse walked in, he would say, hey, do you know Jesus? Do you have a relationship with the Lord? Do you, do you know the gospel? Do you want to hear? I, I'm here, I'm telling you, I'm telling you right now that that, for me, I don't know about you, but that is the goal. That on my seemingly bed, uh, on my deathbed uh, here um, in the future, that I'm hopeful that I have a perspective like my grandpa that the only thing that really matters at that point is understanding who God's heart is, that he's gracious, that he's present even in my circumstances, that he's more than generous to that in response, that God, I need you, I trust you, I can't do this on my own. I want other people to know that. That's the great perspective. And yet we see in verse 14, God speaks to Solomon. And this is how he 
closes this out. He says, if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, well, we know how that went, then I will lengthen your days. And I want to close this morning with a sad reality. It's that Solomon's heart remained divided. Solomon's heart remained divided. That if I had time to walk you to the book of Ecclesiastes and and walk through this, we would see that the very same things that God gives Solomon as gifts in this moment of humility and, and moment of understanding who God is and his disposition and his heart towards us were the very same things that were his demise, that led him away from the Lord. We see this phrase time and time again in Ecclesiastes, that I've pursued sex, that Solomon had more wives and concubines and there's people sitting in this room today, that I've pursued success, I've I've pursued wealth, I've pursued pleasure at its fullest extent and yet all of it is meaningless. All of it is vanity. We see Solomon at the end of his life Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Listen to what he says. This is an old man on his deathbed. He says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. It's done. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. It took Solomon his entire life to get to that point. Hey, I've pursued all these things in my life and, and now at the end of my life on my deathbed now, now I understand the purpose of life, to fear God, to to worship him, to glorify him with my life, to keep his commandments, to walk in step with him forever, for all of eternity. That is the purpose of life. Listen, I don't want that to be our story, That, that we would get to the end of our life after just defiling ourselves with the things of this world, trying to find satisfaction in something other than Jesus Christ, listen, Solomon pursued it. It didn't work. You don't have to have that be your story. See, the thing that we learned from Solomon is that he was divided. And maybe you've walked in here fully aware that the, the condition of your heart, that you are so focused on maybe your career, that you're so focused on your family, there's things in your life that you're just so distracted with that it's stealing your joy and your relationship with the Lord. Your heart's divided. Remember God's heart. Maybe some of us walked in here just like Solomon, a little overwhelmed. Maybe you've walked in here and the circumstances of life aren't looking good or maybe you just feel so uh, far away from God. You just feel like life is just happening to me and I'm not in control of anything. Listen, you're not. You're not in control of anything. But guess who is? In your humility right now, go to the Lord. Remember what he's done for you. And lastly, we see that Solomon had some pretty unhealthy patterns. Young people in the room, listen. Look at the things that Solomon struggled with at a young age and the same things that he struggled with later on in his adult life. Maybe some of us have walked in here knowing full well that there are some unhealthy patterns in our lives. 
Maybe you don't want that to define your story. Listen, it doesn't have to. If you would remember the cross right now, remember God's heart for you, that there is grace for you today, that he is more than generous, that he is more present in your sin, in your rebellion than you would ever imagine or deserve. Remember our big idea, that my heart will remain divided until I understand rightly God's heart. I can't think of a better way to respond now than to worship. And what we typically do is, as we close out our services, we typically pray and then we sing another song and like 25% of the room just leaves and we just get in our car and we miss out on the opportunity to respond to who God is and what he has done for us. us. And in response to that, I just want to create an opportunity now where we can respond rightly and say, God, you know, I have over everything that's going on in my life, I'm going to worship you now. I'm not in control, but you are. God, I need your help. And I know that you are more than able to take over my life. I surrender everything. So why don't we do this? Why don't we stand to our feet now? And why don't we go to the Lord and worship and have this be our, the cry of our hearts as we leave this place. We sing.